Welcome back to Dollars and Dragons. Today we have with us again, BJ Harris, if you'd like to introduce yourself to the audience. Uh, hey, everybody. I'm VJ Harris. My pronouns are they, them, and he, him. They use them interchangeably, so have fun with it. Um, I am a freelance TTRPG designer, professional GM, and uh, I guess educator is the correct word, but I don't want anybody to think like I'm a professor or anything. I just talk a lot about bigotry in the space and in design and how you can like play and design without it. Super cool. I also see that you're wearing like a bisexual D&D shirt. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I swing both ways violently with an axe. It was a <laughs> Christmas present. Oh, okay. 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 That's a very you shirt, actually. That I think that tracks. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. So, wow. I feel like, I don't know if this is just me, VJ, but like maybe I do need to invite people back a second time. You're my first second time guest, by the way. Yay. Yeah, um, I think I do need to invite people back a second time because I'm like way less anxious about it. Chilling. And we've already had a conversation. I already know that you like me. So it's like. <laughs> it's an act, actually. I'm sorry to tell you that live. Oh, but, no. Um, so do oh, with no. that with you well. <laughs> Damn. You say shit like that, but I'm going to be, I'm going to wake up at 3 a.m. and be like, were they I'm fucking kidding. with me? <laughs> I am 100% fucking with you. 100%. Oh, God. Um, okay. So we'll just, we'll just start off with a banger. Okay. An all white cast in this economy question mark what do you think about that like what's still it, it comes up it makes its rounds on the ttrpg twitter once in a while if a show doesn't have a good amount of representation mm-hmm. what is representation looking like for you in 2023 and if we're going to talk about what are solutions like what are solutions for for the whites um to begin casting bipoc people in things for better mm-hmm. representation mm-hmm. what does that look like to you uh so First off, that the representation doesn't look like tokenism. I some people might know smaller groups of people might know me well for being the person that that has always argued, hey, critical role needs to split up and add more people of color to it. And to be clear, like my argument, my this topic we're talking about is not just about critical role. They're just the biggest example for me to give y'all. There are lots of other smaller um TTRPG actual plays, um, talk shows that are just as guilty of this, right? And I I always make the argument, hey, they need to add more people of color to it on a permanent basis, not just as like guests or for like four to eight episodes for like an EXU thing. And the thing that I always get back in regards to that is like, oh, so you just want them to tokenize a person of color, a black person, what? And I'm like, that is never the argument I'm going to make. I never want black people... Um, people of color, any marginalized identity to feel like they're being tokenized onto something, but there is a way to add representation to a to a table and have it ongoing without being like, we're just bringing you on because you're a person of color, because you're disabled, et cetera, et cetera. And so, but just to, to answer, but just to, before diving into the plan for that, to answer like, what does representation look like to me in 2023 with a specific focus on race? Because this is also, this conversation can also apply to like other marginal identities, um, gender, sexuality, um, able-bodiedness, all of that. But to be on topic, it's not just one person of color, because even if you, even if, even if you do what I think is a good idea to like do it in a way that isn't tokenizing, it can still feel like that when it's just one person dropped into an all white like table. Um, uh, two, if you bring in multiple people of color, that the work isn't done there. You've also got to make sure the environment is safe because having people of color does not. At, so while having people of color would technically, and if I see people calling the screen, I'm like, oh, okay, if I'm seeing other people of color, great for representation. Representation is just, isn't just just like the front-facing stuff, it's the internal stuff as well, and that has to be working well. Um, while we might commend people that bring in people of color, the second, like, I might do a bit, okay, cool, I'm glad to see that. But one, you can see when things are, or at least I know I can, I can see, maybe other people can't, maybe it's like a, maybe it's easier for other people of color to see it, who knows, right? But I know I can see when they brought a people of color onto the table and they haven't done the the back end work on it because it's just so uncomfortable to watch. It's just like, can easily pick up on cues of like, oh man, they should not have people of color on the stream. And then finally, it's also about protecting the people of color that are coming onto your stream from your community. Um, which is something that you you can have you could be the most positive TTRPG actual play. You could you could treat your your um people your like coworkers of color, your friends of color who are playing with you the best. You could have a completely safe workspace if you're not going to try and like protect and defend those individuals from the racism that is 
definitely existing in your space because it just exists. Even if you, even if you're a great person, there's always going to be something there. Then you're also failing on that end as well. And <laughs> I, 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 I have this plan because every single time a new, like from starting from season, starting from campaign two to campaign three, every single time <laughs> um, a new critical role thing starts. And I'm like, okay, why aren't there people of color? I've had to like whip out the plan, revise it, redo the whole thing. And on the note of like tokenism, right? So yes, if you were to go out and just say, right, I'm going to use an example. Let's say that you were, you were running, you were running a, a TTRPG stream. You're about to do an actual play or a, a talk show, whatever. And you had a bunch of white people and then you look at it and you're like, oh, I don't have any people of color. I was like, hey, VJ, you're black. Come on. <laughs> um, obviously not in those words. Like, I mean, I'm assuming none of you are going to do that in those words. You shouldn't do that, That's, period. That was, that was word for word how I emailed you and got you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I wasn't going to put you on blast, but... <laughs> um, but yeah, so first off, like, obviously we're not going to do that or do that in any other, like... Like, your thought process should not be, oh, I need a Black person, let me go find a Black person. Um... Your thought process can be, oh, this is a lot of white voices and it's not like a one. It's not a fair representation of the community you're going to be you're going to be speaking to, even if people of color are like on the smaller side of the community, which I feel like that might be debatable at this point. But I don't have any numbers to back me up, so I'm not going to argue one way or the other. Um, It's still like like an all white cast is not representative of the people you're going to be pushing this out to unless like you're like, no, I'm just I'm just focusing on white people then. Well. I can't help you. Um, I, I kind of hope your stuff crashes and burns unless it's like in a very specific context of focusing on whiteness. But so you're going to want to like make like work through your thought process on why you're bringing on people of color. It shouldn't be to check a box. It should be something along the lines of, OK, this isn't representative of the community I want. I also know that like there are a lot of amazing creators of color out there that do to no fault of their own simply because of an effect of, you know, white supremacy and like systemic systemic racism are not getting as many um, opportunities as a lot of white people in the space, even those that are either at the same level as the white people or even better. And so you should really come at it from a place of representation is important and having diverse voices. Um, You know how like the right will say not diverse diversity of identity, but diversity of thought. Diversity of thought comes from diversity of identity because our lived experiences and how we move through the world does change how we see and think about things. Like Friday and I have are going to have two completely different views on stuff um, based on our various identities, not just um, <laughs> not just our race. And so you always want to you you want to have that in there, right? Like diversity of thought. You want to have that in there, and you're not going to get that if you're just like all white people or um, or anything like that. So you so that's the first place to come from representation, um, represent, uh, giving equal opportunity, giving like evening out a playing field where it should be even in the first place, but it currently isn't through no fault of the like people of colors own actions and um, what'll make the best podcast. Right. And then the second part of that, right. Is I don't know how feasible it is to do like, how do I, what I don't, I color, I don't think colorblind casting is a feasible way to do things for TTRPGs. And, um, uh, for any type of thing, like uh, like the thing that pops into my head is how when I think it was the orchestra, like they started putting carpet on the floor so that they couldn't tell and just having people play. They couldn't tell if it was a man or a woman or somebody that like, you know, you would associate wearing heels and they stopped seeing like disparities and like the gender makeup of things. I I don't. And so when I say colorblind casting, I don't mean like, oh, I don't see color kind of thing. Just like figuring out a way so that you don't let it influence you. And I don't think that's actually like um. I don't know if that's really possible with the medium here uh, to get to that point. But to the thing that I always suggest is like, well, how do you expect them? To, you're, you just want them to pick people of color regardless of their uh, skills. And my thing is like, I if you're going to be doing actual plays and stuff like that and you're trying to like handpick a team, you should really hold auditions, right? You should really set it up in such a way that people can audition. Um, they can come in. You can like get the vote, the, the flow and vibe of things. Um, but in, in wanting to set up auditions, you need to make sure you've already worked through the like, okay, is this a safe space that people of color can come into and feel comfortable role playing in? Because if it turns out not to be a safe space, that is going to detrimentally affect any of the people of color's 
probably the majority of people of color coming to like role play in this. Like I know I'm not at my best when the environment I am is, is really fucked up and stressing me out. So you really got, you really got to bring in, uh, bring in anybody you want to bring in, right? White people, people of color, anything like that. Host auditions, go down the line, have a very like rigorous testing process out, like lay it out. Don't, um, I know some people, it might feel better for some people to just be like, I'm just going to kind of go with the flow and see how things are. Um, but that's a really good way to let your biases sink into something, just kind of going with the flow. Um, there are systems and stuff you can put in place to like, okay, be like, okay, these are the definite questions that these are the definite, like has to hit this, this, and this, like these things are what we need. And then if there are a few other things that like come into play later, it's like, like if you've got three perfect candidates and you're like, okay, they met all of my requirements. Now it's kind of like okay what do we do yeah. here now but the upfront stuff which are and what vj is talking about is open casting calls and sort of selecting for a team in that way where the performance matters a lot and also you're looking for a specific person to fit a tone or a theme or something to that effect and you don't know the people exactly that you'd like to be on the show I think the more likely scenario for many casting situations is that someone, especially from a white perspective, they start with four or five people already that they want to play with mm. and they all happen to be white because they're white, right? And then they're like, oh shit, I have to diversify with my <laughs> final one or two people. And how do I do that? And then they scramble and then they're looking for people. Would assume, perhaps incorrectly, but for, and of course, BIPOC are not a uh, a monolith. But I would assume if I was to be approaching anyone with a an all-white cast and being like, hey, we'd like you to join our cast. And then you see that they're already all white. It's just like, it's kind of like, okay, well, it can feel tokenizing, right? Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that's how it feels to me. Like whenever I'm the only non-straight person, and especially if there's not any BIPOC on the show, like it's like, oh, you're diversifying with the white queer? Like... <laughs> Yeah, I, um, so I definitely agree that's like the standard of how things happen. And I think that it's going to take like a complete shift in people's thinking to not make that. Like, I can, I can completely understand being like, okay, I have like two people. I have like, I can understand having a group of people that are like, okay, I'd love to, I already know some white people that I want to play with. Um, but definitely going to have to break out of the mode of like, oh, I have all of these people and I'm already going to invite them on and then we're going to do this. Honestly, I think. If if I was if I was being asked because I I do also like if I get asked I'm like okay what's the racial makeup are there other people of color there have you picked all the white cast already like like if somebody came to me first and was like hey I want to do this I haven't reached out to anybody else um and was just upfront with me about like I like your stuff um I like what you have to say about like things in the space your design your role playing I think you'd be great here um and I'm also trying to like make a constant like a concentrated effort to make sure that I'm not just putting out all white content again. Um, I'm totally fine with being the person, like one of the first people of color to come on if you're upfront and honest, like, hey, I did this. I know that this is important. And so I'm trying to get more people of color into this space. And I know that like involves working on both ends to make sure it's safe for you on like while you're role playing, while you're not role playing and in the community. And so like, even if it comes to like, oh, hey, yeah, we need a couple more people. Um, I don't feel... None of us, know, none of us like grow, none of us know this stuff right off the bat. It's some things we learn either early on in our life or later on, or like my age, teenagers, old people, like senior, senior citizens, old people, kind of old people, I'm not calling anybody like older than 29 old people. Um. <laughs> we're, not, we're not that kind of TikTok. <laughs> um, like if you realized you, if you realized, oh, hey, I'm following into a pattern that is frequently called out in the space. And then you're honest and upfront, like, hey, I'm asking because I like your work and also because I want to do this. And again, like Friday said, uh, we're not a monolith. So your mileage might vary on that. But I know for me and a lot of other creators, you'd be like, okay, as long as you are doing the work on both ends of things. Because like just acknowledging that you know that this is a problem isn't actually showing me that you're doing the work. Yeah, I yeah, I encountered that kind of early on just as a casting. I guess that I hate to call myself a casting director because I like don't have any like official qualification but like that's what i do for shows like i I do the casting obviously because like i'm putting together them together and it's part of the job uh, because there just isn't enough people to do all the jobs because i'm a small-time production person but whenever i'm casting uh for me it was generally 
I entered the space and I my first actual play was an all white cast and like my first question as soon as I got on when I was cast because it was like through the interview process that you're talking about we had the audition process and there's like two or three rounds of it and I just really liked the idea that was posted for the advertisement is my first show is me just getting into TTRPG but my first question was still when I got on cast how many people auditioned for this that were people of color and they had like 50 applications and apparently none of them were people of color which i'm not i'm not certain is true or not not to call anyone a liar but it would not surprise me people of color did not audition for a random actual play you know what i mean like for for good reason for the same reason that when people are looking to play a game on start playing games if you're a marginalized person guaranteed they check out the profile because mm-hmm. they're not just playing with anybody because they need to make sure do their mm-hmm. extra step of making sure that this person seems like they're not going to be racist or homophobic or whatever it might be mm-hmm. um and you know of course you know come to find out some of the people who are perhaps biggest uh offenders put in their profile that they're a safe space we don't necessarily have to talk about that um <laughs> with that being said uh i know you want to talk about it pj but let's uh can we we can (laughs) we can pivot back briefly to how do you create space that seems at least from your perspective uh that seems safe for bipoc to be joining if you are in an all-white space yeah so so i was talking to a friend about this last night right because and uh because and again, like I said, this doesn't just apply, like, I use Critical Role as an example, but there are so many, like, much smaller um, uh, actual plays and teacher RPG shows that are guilty of, like, having an all-white cast, right? And just for episodes and episodes, not doing anything about it. Um, and I was complaining about it because I was like, come on, especially given the fact that it was, like, uh, Black History Month. Like, again, don't want any, don't want... None of us want to be tokenized. But if there was ever a time to start trying to do better, um, you know what? Maybe during like, especially in regards to like adding black people to stuff, like maybe you should have been like building up to bringing on like a black co-host or player or multiple players, honestly. Like, again, because I said like maybe not just one person of color, one black person, you know, because that can feel really weird. Um, But the and the like and the response I got back to that um my friend uh, like took the words right out of my mouth, like wasn't forming it. I couldn't think of it correctly. And then, and then they said it was like, if you, if you always start off doing like trying to make your space safe for people of color, when it comes to the time to start actually inviting them in, it doesn't have to, it won't feel like tokenizing. It won't feel like you're just doing it just to, for a checkbox or anything. It's because you've always been doing it. So what I'm going to, what I'm going to say to like making it feel like a more welcoming space for people of color, you, you can't just like when I said you, you have to be doing the back end and front end and community work. You can um it's it's honestly best <laughs> to do that if you already have an established like community and like you're or you're already like an established group and you're like, okay, I'm trying to make this more of a welcoming space so I can eventually invite people of color in as guests and then as permanent um, members. You need to start like working on the um any like anti any of the like um, racist sentiment that is like a part of the production, a part of what happens on the screen, a part of what's going on in your community. Like you need to really dive into the space you have and you've created and start chipping away at that before you can like comfortably reach out to a person and be like, Hey, I would like to do this. I, and like, I know for me, if somebody, if somebody was in this position, they were like, Hey, I haven't had a lot of people of color on here and I'd like to start changing that. And then they told me the steps they went about to make sure it was a safe space for me as a person of color. I'd be like, okay, I'll give it a try. Um, I don't know if like upfront listing out the steps or I don't think it'll hurt if you reach out and be like, Hey, I want to have more people of color. Also make sure it's like you're highlighting people of color who are doing good stuff. You are not highlighting them just because they're people of color. Like if you come to me and you're like, Hey, I want to add more people of color. You're black. I totally would love to have you. And no mention of like, oh, your work and this and that, like actually looking at my skills is going to be like, absolutely not. Kick rocks. You really got to, you got to do the upfront work to make your space safe and welcoming before inviting people of color on that. And that can take time. And because if you didn't start building your space to make it like that in the first place, retroactively going back to fix that can take a lot of time. And in that time, you shouldn't have any people of color in there. And if you're not like putting your stuff on pause, and if you're not like also being like, hey, I want to fix, I'm, I want to bring more people of color in, but I need to make sure my community is safe for them upfront and like 
to the public, then you also just need to kind of accept the consequences that come with like um, having all white people in a space for like a production thing. People are going to talk about it. Um, People are going to call you out for it. So you have to like make a decision of, am I going to keep the steps that I'm doing private or am I going to be public about it? And then like deal with like the stuff that is also going to come from that. If you haven't cleaned up your space yet, because you're, if you haven't made a concentrated effort to make sure your space isn't filled with like races, they're going to, you're going to get some like, uh, you're going to get some shit for that. I'd be like, don't bow down to these people. Like, keep doing what you're doing. Like, that kind of thing. Like, it's going to come from both sides, um, depending on how you're doing it. So, yeah, it's kind of funny that, you know, you don't necessarily have to be like overtly racist to have an all white cast, but guess, guess where all the racists hang out <laughs> in spaces with all white people. <laughs> there is a correlation. My experience as a white person. Uh, casting for POC or starting to break into, like, how do I connect with more people of color? A lot of the time, what I ended up doing was just being very intentional about me reaching out and trying to find people. I'm not afraid to say the wrong thing here, but I am trying to be very intentional with what I say um, (laughs) before I get eviscerated by BJ. Um, So whenever I did find uh, a person that I wanted to work with, and was a person of color, I was looking at their portfolio first, and then trying to figure out like, what can I be a fan of? And why would I want to work with this person in particular? Mm -hmm. And that's how I started establishing a lot of my initial connections in the space was seeking out people whom I wanted to work with, and who happen to be people of color. And it didn't necessarily mean that I was just seeking out black people or Asian people or I have made a lot of Asian friends in the past year. But um, that was just happenstance i think so it just it it can be difficult and like awkward at first but Mm -hmm. i think part of that also was i was new to the space and rather than just being established in the space and then seeking people out my first concern has always been what am i making and who can i make with who can i create with Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and if you are creating anything that's a collaborative group effort and it's meant to reach the widest audience possible and be representative of like community and our community, like in, in tabletop and you want people to feel welcome. Well, then it has to be representative of the people within the community. You can't have like an all white design team for something exactly. because, because then you're going to have these glaring errors, like the, the hazard you know what I mean? Uh, you know, these, these other examples that is just like people like looked at it, but it's a blind spot because mm-hmm. They aren't necessarily, they haven't had direct experience with that kind of thing, or they see it as normal, but they don't understand like the the racist or the white supremacist roots of it. Mm-hmm. And that's especially true of like me coming out of the military and something that I talked, I talk about actually kind of frequently is white supremacist. The military was like in hindsight and not intentionally so, literally constructed by college educated white people. So when it was initially conceived and developed, like especially a hundred years ago, um, as far as our policies and things like that, it was all by white people. Black people up until recently couldn't even have their hair done a certain way in the military because mm-hmm. it was considered um, unkempt or like unprofessional just to have your hair a certain way. And it's just like, that's something that I accepted as normal and regulating like black people's bodies within the military a certain way because the military wanted them to look like everyone else, but they can't look like everybody else. They're black. Like they're going to look like black people look and their hair is going to be like black people's, you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it takes a lot of reflection for people to come to terms with that because nobody wants to like look at themselves and say, Hey, I may not be racist, but I am participating in a racist institution or Mm -hmm. I'm upholding racist ideas. And those are two totally separate things. Like there's the act of racism and then there's the, what am I, which path am I on? Am Mm -hmm. I further encouraging and establishing the social hierarchy that has been presented to me and I benefit from as a white person? Or am I providing a space that where a a person of color can feel like their voice is heard and acknowledged and they're part of the process rather than someone to be used and consumed? Mm -hmm. That, that, that ending part. I like that because that was a, that was another thing that me and my friend were talking about last night, like just feeling, feeling like a, feeling like a product just to be 
uh, handled, passed around and whatnot versus, you know, feeling like a actual person being um, talked to and uh, consulted with and being treated with like dignity and respect in a space. Do you like writing romance? Um, yes. Do you like some uh, romantic stories and stuff? I love, I... Uh, just I I just just I just want a I want a clarification. Uh, well, one yes, I do like writing romance, and two, like um, what am I trying to ask you? I'm sorry, give me a second. Um, like if you ask me, like, oh hey, do you write in the romance genre of like with the tropes and stuff that you're expecting? My answer would be not really. Um, uh, but just general, like, oh, do you like reading, writing, and like engaging with romance? Yes. As far as like romance and and things like that as a person of color and this is something that i talk with my girlfriend a lot so you don't have to talk to me about this but i was curious about your perspective on how people treat you in tabletop in respects to like romantic storylines and romantic plots and like your contribution to a romantic space mm-hmm. um so so the first thing i'm gonna the first thing i'm gonna say is up until like uh up until kind of recently um i've so i start i started off in 5e in like 2015 and that was like my first D first teacher rpg thing ever um and i wasn't supposed to be the dm but our other dm flaked so i had to dive in so was all was like the npc was the npcs flirting with the other players who um there was only one other like person of color in our friend group that was playing D with us um and then uh stayed the dm for a long time and i i have mostly been the dm and and but not for like short things like quick things kind of like one shots two shots that kind of thing it isn't it's like really recently where i've gotten to be a player for a long consistent time um over on like starlight tales or total party kiss or like my saturday early morning games and have been like able to more readily engage in like a longer romantic like plots if i wanted to um I, I think I've, I, not I think, I know I've been very lucky in the space with the people that I've, like, played uh, any TTRPG with have always, like, gone in and felt respected and safe and, like, felt good about bringing up any issues that I was like, hey, I feel like this was a misstep here for this reason. Like, never felt like I was going to get shut down for that. Um, and specifically on the note of, like, romance and whatnot, um, I can't give an example from the Starlight Tales table for the long ongoing thing right now because my guy is just kind of like, he likes to date. He likes to sleep around. I don't know what he's doing romantically. I don't know if he's interested in that in general. But over like on the Strange Hunger stuff, my my sweet boy Tazrael has like, is a agent of the Empire and his partner was also an agent of the Empire, had a loving, great and amazing um, romantic relationship in the backstory. Um, started off like, it like, uh, advers- adversaries to lovers and that partner uh, that partner died and then uh, like fast forward all of us are kind of like flirting and just doing like romantic or like um, lustful behavior with each other and to bring to to bring it back it the so for the backstory stuff um, Alex my uh, my DM has always been very I think Alex is an example of 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 somebody who like did the work beforehand to make sure they were like making not only a safe space but knowing how to interact with each of each of us as players and like taking into account any like any um like issues that might arise from that given our various identities like Alex has put a lot of work into like researching how to do that stuff reading a bunch of different things that help with that as well and the way that Alex has always handled romance with me and my backstory character at the very least has been very like um I guess I want to say tender because I feel like I feel like a lot of times even outside of TTRPGs and role playing and stuff black people when um not necessarily when we're sometimes when we're interacting with ourselves but definitely when it's outside with other like non-black people and special especially white people we don't really get tenderness when it comes to like trying to figure out what our romantic relationships are with each other or in a space if it's like a um non-black or like a white dm who's like yeah romance here you go we'll just kind of shove this in here and it's like rough and it's not and it's like it's like that thing where people are like we're tired of seeing damsel in distress tropes okay you can be tired of seeing that in white people but like black women black femmes don't get the damsel in distress thing a lot so like give it here like and i and i've been i've been lucky and i've been lucky that the people that i'm like engaging in this kind of stuff with 
um, know that there are things around that and are just like treating it with a lot of like care and tenderness and just being open to anything, like not putting anything off the table, but also like also not like inherently putting on things like, oh, you're a strong black person who like, you know, doesn't need X, Y, Z thing. So I know this and I and I like I said, I know this isn't true for everybody. Yeah, I think just I keep coming back to the word tenderness and like just the ways that I've been able to navigate um, romantic relationships on the various streams just very tender as far as like the DMs interacting with me and even some of the players because there's definitely some like romantic underpinnings in our whole Saturday party there at some point. If if that answers your question, I might have just rambled and not actually given you an answer. What is it that Alex has done, do you think? What are some of the things besides, you mentioned being tender, but what are the, some of the things that Alex has done just as a GM, as a, I believe they're also the producer or they're in some capacity, like sort of mm-hmm. the casting director and they're in a position of power in, in that in that show. What have they done that has made um, you feel really comfortable? Yeah, on the like position of power. So yeah. Alex is definitely the one who like reached out to all this like, hey, you want to do this? And we got in here. Alex is the DM, has a lot of like has a lot of like functional power over us over us as players. But one um makes it very clear it's it's a partnership. Like, um, and and I and I wanna say same goes for like all of the DMs I've had on start on like um total wow. First, I was going to say start playing that games. <laughs> Starlight Tales. It's very much a like hard veto one. And this applies to like just everything, not just the romance stuff, but like giving us veto power. Like, hey, I actually don't want that to happen. Or, hey, can you spoil this for me? Because I, I need to know for my well-being kind of thing. Or or even if it's more like it's, it's just making me anxious and I, I'd like to know how it kind of how it's going to end the whole um, and also just making it feel like a safe space to like give over power. So, for example, for Alex, like one Alex, um, I think I'm also really good about knowing things that like I definitely shouldn't suggest that'll definitely get get a no. Um, and I don't think I have suggested anything like that, but also knowing that they're like, hey, um, uh, so so far in conjunction with Alex, I've never gotten like a no about something I wanted to introduce romantically about um uh Vel, my partner, uh Taz's partner in there, like um completely reworked the relate the backstory relationship at one point. I was like, oh hey, actually it's more like this than this, because completely rechanged it, worked with me to see how that would actually look like, has been like done flashbacks with me with the with that information where I was completely shocked that like this happened. I was like, holy shit, I didn't even like I like I wasn't even the one that like put this in there and um did a lot with that. But also, man, there was something I was about to say about Alex. Um Oh, the like I mentioned, Alex has just deliberately made a space just in general, but also around like the romantic side of things that instills a lot of trust in them. Like um, my partner is dead, um, but we nobody saw how they died. And I was also like, hey, Alex, you could always bring my partner back. You could always do something really fucky with them when we get out to like the actual place we're supposed to be in this whole campaign. And you can emotionally devastate me. You can bring in any amount of romance or anything like that and just have them just completely wreck my character. And I, I wouldn't say that to every single DM I've like seen on streams or asked to play with, or I've played with in like short one shots. Um, so I guess it really just boils down to Alex um, and Starlight Tales DMs just really making it like a open partnership around stuff like that and just being willing to not being so focused on what they think should happen with like the romance and the story of it and just allowing me to have a lot of autonomy and And I guess one of the things that they perhaps do that makes you feel comfortable do they ask for consent frequently in a conversation is that okay question mark how do you feel (laughs) about that question mark yeah it's funny what that does right it just levels the playing field yeah and a lot of times i think if that question wasn't there i'd be like i'd feel more apprehensive about it happening but every it's like it puts me at so much ease like that constant consent check and i'm like listen fuck me up fuck me up all the way do what you want (laughs) and then and then and then you still get the check-in when you're like do whatever the hell you want to me all right just rip my heart out and stab it in the wall not that um it's necessarily totally a one-to-one here but that is something actually I found out from my girlfriend that she really appreciated was a totally different subject, but adjacent to romance, perhaps. We're going to just content. We're going to talk about me fucking my girlfriend for a moment. She 
and I like started hooking up because that's um we were just you know we dating app whatever like we went on a date we're both not weird uh to each other at least come to find out recently that I'm probably autistic and so is she but um <laughs> that's probably why <laughs> probably why the sex is so great but um <laughs> anyway uh I didn't realize I was doing it but I think it was naturally with my sort of apprehension to be with a new partner I was consistently like asking for consent during like the act and stuff. And that made her very comfortable um, because I was always asking her if I was going to try anything new, waiting for her to either acknowledge or say no or whatever. And uh, what we've kind of found in our relationship is that because there is that respect that I am going to not do whatever she says no to, then she's very willing to be vulnerable and explore with me and things like that. And I think that's no different than in any other relationship in which someone can be vulnerable. You have to allow yourself to be hurt. Otherwise, someone is just going to keep their walls up for as long as they feel that they need to in order to protect themselves. And I think a lot of marginalized people, whether you be queer or BIPOC, is just you trying to navigate these spaces and keeping your walls up because you don't know when someone's going to try and hurt you. It can be really exhausting. Yeah. Sorry, that was super deep, huh? That was super, yep. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's at the heart of it. And I think one of the reasons why, and I don't, I am not trying to put words in your mouth and correct me if I'm wrong. I think one of the reasons why that was so hard for you to articulate is that Alex just creates a feeling in you. There's no one single thing that Alex does, but Alex just makes you feel a certain way. Yeah, yeah. You know what? Like, I already just have a hard, sometimes I have a hard time, like, getting my words out. And then it's only made harder when it's like, I can't tell, I can't, like, it's just a vibe, it's just, it's just a vibe. And I can't, I can't, like. Yeah, the old vibe check, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about, like, some of the times that I have spent, at least from my white queer perspective, when I first initial uh, initially entered the queer community where I was trying to and I was exploring. There's a lot of gatekeeping by queers. Queers are the worst gatekeepers. If you're a gatekeeping queer, fuck you. But um <laughs> Hey, I you I'm I'm laughing in agreement. I am I'm <laughs> okay. laughing in agreement with you. <laughs> not I'm not disagreeing. There's so many queers out there that are just like, no, this is this is my fashion sense. This is this is my thing. You can't suck dick over here. I'm sucking dick. Like um there's so many people that are like gatekeeping as though like what they have is unique to them and they might lose it if someone else joins. And I think that's true for a lot of things. I think people are just really selfish. I don't yeah. know where I was going with that. I, 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 I agree. And the way that, that selfishness can manifest in spaces like this makes it a harmful environment for people to engage with. Yeah. From a project management perspective, and whether it be like game design or like creating a creating a show, I try to look at things through the lens of what is the best thing for the product? What is the best thing for like the service or the show or whatever it is that we're doing? And oftentimes, when I think about how the project has gone this far and the manner in which that we're succeeding on every metric up to this point is really solely based on the contribution and creativity and like love that each of our contributors has put into it. Because I could have, if I had wanted to, made a decent or a pretty good book, right? I could have made Vineyard into something that was pretty good. It's so much better with all these other people in it. It's like impressively, amazingly better. Because I know what my drafts would have ended up looking like if I hadn't worked with other people with different perspectives to develop it more and to shape it into something perhaps entirely different. It was surprising yet satisfying the way that it's turned out. Mm -hmm. And I remember early on when I received my first drafts from people, I was like crying like tears of joy. Like I was just overwhelmed with how amazing everything. And I think more people need to embrace the collaborative aspect of creating games, creating art, and create a meaningful connection with these people that you're working with, rather than being of the perspective that this is for me. You should seek to create with other people and have that act of creation be like the experience and like what you are trying to harness and enjoy and appreciate. I and then there's marketing, which doesn't you forget <laughs> all that shit. <laughs> but if you're a creator, I think it's important to focus on those things and partnering with people who 
will perhaps one day like matter to you a lot. And I know that I have gained a lot of, I would call them friends um, since I started working in TTRPG. And it's just really nice to work with people whom I like love and trust. And I really am a fan of working with. I really like their work. I like working with them. And that comes with its own challenges, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, I can at times get frustrated with people. Um, I can be disappointed in some ways, I suppose. It's like anyone else. Ultimately, something like this, unless you're making like zines or something like that, I think ultimately it's much better as a collaborative process. Because being the being the one person, the one perspective who designs anything, I think is like fraught with peril, no matter who you are. Yeah, no, I'm... Uh... All of, uh, all of the projects that I've been on, say for one, my first one has been with other people at this point. Um, and just thinking about the one got an absolute brutal but honest review. And like thinking about it, say, if I'd had somebody else work on this with me, it would be a lot better. Um, and I keep saying I want to go back and redo the whole thing. And the thing that's been rolling around in my head lately is like, maybe I should bring somebody else on for, for this like little redux um, yeah, I do think in a lot of cases, designing with other people, uh, definitely. And even if it's not like, um, even if it's less about like, oh yeah, we're definitely doing all this design together. And even if it's just like, Hey, can I talk, can I talk through this with you instead? Cause I didn't talk through that, that project with anybody. It was just me. I was like, all right, here we go. All in my baby. <laughs> I don't, I don't I even didn't know. want anybody to criticize this. <laughs> <laughs> I want everyone to love it. <laughs> They're going to uh, love it because I put my soul into this. Yeah. And it's like, use the people you have. All right. I mean, not like use them and like, you know, but like. Damn, BJ, you're exposed. <laughs> mm, yep. Treat them like a commodity. Use them and shelve them. Um, <laughs> reach out to your commu- your design community and ask for feedback and help. Be uh let let them be a blessing to you and you be a blessing back in, in other ways. All right. I think one of the things that you can do, especially if you are because nobody works in tabletop until like they've been working in tabletop for 10 years and then they can go full time. Fuck it. I'm going to say it. if you're white, you probably have more money. Right. So that's just that's just how it is like in America. So if you have more money because you have a good paying job, then normally that good paying job is a result of like white privilege and living in an area that's going to support you to be able to get you those opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. If you're thinking about what is it that you can do, then one of the things that you can do is hire a person of color to work with you. Again, specifically, the main reason should be you like their design. All right, because I I never want anybody to tell to say that you think people of color are always good at what they do. I actually don't. <laughs> Some of us suck. Some of us are bad at our jobs. Um, uh, but not as many yeah. of us as like you know systemic oppression would have you think. So please look at our work before you do that. And honestly, if you're coming into tabletop like as a part timer and you've got a great career, I think that's a great opportunity for a number of reasons, and not simply if you're white, but if you're anyone that has like a platform, and I was talking about this with Katie Osaurus, you have a unique opportunity as a person that has the means to be an angel investor in a project. Um, And if you have the means to turn your side hustle money into something for this project, then that means that you're going to be able to compensate people and then bring in new perspectives that will appreciate working on something and being paid. And then also produce a better product. And especially with our current OGL season, I think it's important to sort of embrace those things, right? It's important mm-hmm. to really look at what it is that you want to do and where your niche is as you expand as a designer and you move on to things that you can potentially fall in love with. Exactly. Damn, we didn't really talk about the vineyard at all, but we're we out didn't. of time, VJ. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. I have I have a really important question for you before yeah, we so. go. Mm-hmm. Um since uh, I, I am a I am a black guy that is working on a project that you are in charge of, how did you come to get me on this project? What was the thought process like? Oh, if we have okay. a couple minutes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell, tell me how it happened. To, because I uh, y'all, I'm asking this because I think I, I feel comfortable in saying I think the way Friday did it was a great way to do it. So how did please. I do it? I don't even remember how I approached you. I was making a joke earlier. I didn't. I don't remember. <laughs> how did I approach you? I don't know. Let me. Did I email you? Did I DM you? Hold on. Let me let me check the history of our emails. <laughs> I think it was a DM. 
It must have been a DM because our emails start with the assumption that we're already working together. Oh my god, like how did I do this? Let me look because I honestly, I don't fucking remember um, how I did it and that's going to inform. No, it wasn't a DM. Wait, was it a Discord DM? Um, it it wasn't on Discord Twitter. Or, it, then it had to be Discord and probably because of Discord because at first interactions were definitely about the cohort. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, that's how I got to know you. Got you. Um, okay, I know exactly what the what the everything is. I'm just going to check what the first DM was. I sent you a message. Hello, I want to chat with you about the SPG GM cohort mentorship. You applied for it. I remember that. Yeah, I put together the cohort uh, for uh, marginalized people um, in order to sort of diversify SPG's GMs. I had the experience at that point of there being an overwhelming amount of white people in the SPG chat uh, GMs. And then I looked at like all the top GMs at the time and I was like, oh, we're all white. Cool. Um, that's a problem, but what can I do about it? And I was thinking to myself, well, what I could do is just spend some of my time to help out some, uh, BIPOC or other marginalized people who are unable to spend the time on learning how to use SPG because they are otherwise, their time is occupied. They don't have enough spoons, uh, because in general, the way that marginalization affects people is that they have less opportunity because they how do I want to say this without I mean like you you're you're probably uh if you don't have the time and you would like to become like a, a GM on SBG, you don't have the time because you're exhausted. Because like you are already dealing with a lot from life because the system hasn't helped you in some way. Whether it be because of disability or because you live in an area that doesn't didn't support your education, um or so on and so forth. So yeah, and you in general have had to like take all these extra steps in order to like get even with like somebody within like your your age group, your peer group. So you've already done a ton of extra work to like get where you're at. Yeah, anyway, um I just recognize and like those basics about just living in America, right? Mm -hmm. Just understanding those things. Um yeah, I opened up that cohort. I don't really talk about it. I'm surprised you brought it up. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I no because I because I, uh, I was like, okay, I said, hey, do this good example, like, hey, try this, and I was like, oh, you know what? I know that Friday, like, like we went from oh, we're in the cohort, and then yeah. like, hey, do you want to work? Act like, do you want to do a thing with me? And I was like, okay, so I feel like that process. I feel like that was a very non-tokenizing process that we went through to get to where I actually am and like working yeah. for you on various things. So I was like, yeah, then, you know, it was, it was correct. It felt like the right way that things went about it. Well, I mean, I think with any relationship, the first thing that I think about is like, what value am I bringing to this? Like, mm -hmm. what am I doing for this other person? And understanding that I don't have like all the time in the world and all the energy in the world. I can think to myself, like, as a person who is, like, who was at the time and still, like, I was, like, one of the top three GMs on the website. And I, like, hover between all those things. And all that means is that I make a lot of money, ultimately. That's all that means. So I make mm -hmm. enough money to turn the additional money, the excess, into my business, which I use to produce products. How am I going to spend that time and money mm -hmm. is the question that I ask myself now that I'm a full-time pro GM. How do I give back to the community in a way that's meaningful. Well, the first thing I do is I think about like, okay, I'm going to spend some time helping all pro GMs with my platform. Okay, I do that. And then I think to myself, well, what can I do to change the community for the positive? And one of those things was diversification. And I thought that was important to me simply because I honestly am kind of ashamed of how non-diverse SPG was like last year because I was a part of it. So I was just there to make money, right? But mm -hmm. like when I'm amongst the top 10 GMs or whatever, and I'm looking around and I'm like, it's all white people, that makes me uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So that was my thought process was like, what can I do personally? Not everybody has to go and like do something like that. I'm, that's not what I'm saying. I was in the position to, therefore I made the choice to. And yeah, from there, like I talked with you, you seem fucking cool. So I invited you to the project and I like your design work. That's it's, it was very, it was easy. I don't know. It wasn't <laughs> complex. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't like a big 
big old thing. It's like it's like B Dave says often. It's like, hey, uh, do you want to you want to work with Rick? No, I had a bad experience with Rick. Okay, what about Jim? Oh, I had a good experience with Jim. Okay, Jim's hired. That's it. Like that. That's how it goes most of the time. But if you only surround yourself with white people, then obviously you're only going to hire white people. Exactly. So it's just one of those things. Uh, and then like you can, and I've made like a very intentional in the past two years since I got out of the military to like try and enter other spaces and just be a listener and be an observer. Me trying to learn more about other cultures mm-hmm. and interact with people um, respectfully in their space and just join their space and listen does a lot of work, just kind of like learning. Yeah. Uh, and I spend a little bit of time doing that. And you can do that in a number of ways. And you can listen to three black halflings. You can listen to Asians represent. Like you can, there's a lot of ways that you can do that as a white mm-hmm. person. And it's, and it feels to me like it's, at this point, it's bare minimum because unfortunately the education system has failed a lot of us. And I was talking about this with my girlfriend uh, who often, like when she has conversations with people and mentions anything to do with the civil rights movement, there are so many people, she grew up in Georgia, there's so many people even in Georgia who just don't know all of these major events that happened. I don't know. It just feels like it's bare minimum at this point, especially if you're going to be a leader in the space. You should not be a leader if you don't know how to handle diversity. And you're not working on yourself. You shouldn't be a leader, in my opinion. So uh, I think that's bare minimum. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, I 100% agree with that. But yeah, no, I mostly wanted to ask because I I felt like I was like, I know that there wasn't like a long like and like, I know I gave an example of like a hey, long and in-depth process to adding to like making it a safe space for people of color and other marginalized identities to get into a, you know, all white space. And I was like, I know that's not what happened with Friday. I know this was like way, it was way chiller, but I also know that it wasn't weird tokenizing things. So let's hear it. Like all that to say, there were a lot of ways to go about doing this. Not all of them have to feel like a big, scary production, but they all do take intention and the, and the um, desire and um, fortitude to do better. Yeah. One of the things actually that I learned, of course, is a white supremacist thing, but also because I was in the military and I was like a staff sergeant, I was quote unquote a big deal. So um, (laughs) it's like, you know, I've been in like leadership positions and stuff. And like, it's weird going from like being the person who knows everything to like a new industry completely. And like, (laughs) just like learning from people all the time. It's very humbling. And I think it's very important that you take that sort of perspective that you have something to learn from most everyone that Mm -hmm. you interact with, especially if you're white from people of color. The way that they are going to sort of impact your life is it's it's subtle at first, in my opinion. And of course, I interacted with uh, BIPOC within the military, but it was a white supremacist organization. So like they, for the most part, couldn't like actually be themselves a lot of the time around me or around anyone else, because even the behavioral reinforcement of like the Uniform Code of Military Justice and like everything to do with that really reinforces white supremacy. So like BIPOC people can't really be themselves a lot of the time. I've, you know, sort of, that's what I would say. Um, That's what I would observe to it, because there's such an undertone that white supremacist sort of structure. I think it's just important to put yourself out there. Do what you can. I mean, if you're in the position to, then I think you should. Yeah. Give what you can. I definitely agree. And it'll it'll pay off in your community and in your professional and personal life, honestly. I'm glad we're friends now, BJ. Me too. (laughs) Me too. We're going to have to talk about the vineyard the next time you come on. Okay, yeah. We will, we, listen, that'll be the start of it, all right? That is that is what we're going to do right <laughs> at the top of topic. This is the first topic. Unless something else comes up. Okay. <laughs> well, well, I'm on this project for the rest of forever, so I guess whenever. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, the vineyard coming to Kickstarter in April. VJ Harris is one of the designers. You can't Thank see you so me. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I'm just, this, is yeah. video, this is not a visual fucking... <laughs> yeah, be... <sighs> BJ's doing the uh, the finger guns pointed at the sky. <laughs> That's the alt text for this podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on, BJ. I'm going to hit the stop button. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. We have VJ's links in the description if you'd like to check out VJ, who is a best-selling author on DMs Guild. And it's a good thing to support people on DMs Guild, especially in these trying times of the OGL. If you would like to spend some money, why not spend it on VJ? You'll love especially- anything you buy from me everything except for that one project that we did yeah, talk about yeah yeah listen um do not buy uh um restless a guide to laying incorporeal undead to rest that needs a complete rework don't buy that 
I should I should take that down. <laughs> well, I'm not going to, but but don't buy it. <laughs> uh, coupon code. This needs rework. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to the Dollars and Dragons podcast. If you'd like to support me and more importantly my editor who does all of the heavy lifting here, then you can subscribe to patreoncom friday and that is gonna go straight to my editor. Appreciate it. Thank you so much.